listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, I believe this is going to be the, the last in our series, or at least for the moment, on value creation. And I want to say, I believe that you have saved the best for last. So I'm super excited. You have something you want to say. So before I keep going, what did you want to say? No, I cannot enter those waters. I think our guest is phenomenal, but I think all of our guests are phenomenal. But I really am going to like this view of value creation because it's close to my heart. Well, Christy, don't be offended by the fact that he thinks every single guest is phenomenal because that just takes the, you know, that now phenomenal is just average, right? It's not phenomenal anymore. So he's destroyed phenomenal for us. Anyway. Excited to welcome Christy Data from the president and CEO of the Family Business Consulting Group to the show today. And before we start, Christy, I, I want to just sort of do a quick kind of backstory to some extent. You, you think about value creation and the journey that we've been on, Jeff, together. We've talked to industry experts on how they value firms. We've talked to turnaround experts that go into firms and sort of that are broken and help kind of write them. We've talked to business model experts, and we've talked to serial entrepreneurs about you know their efforts to grow value and exit. And what's exciting about this discussion with Christy is that we're going to talk about multi-generational value. And so it's like taking a longer time horizon. So let me stop talking and get Christy talking because I think it's more interesting to hear from her than anybody. So Christy, welcome to Rattle and Pedal. Thank you both. It's great to be here. All right. So where do we start? What is multi-generational value creation? Actually, when this first showed up on our episode list, I was like, what is Jeff talking about? I have no idea what he's talking about. And I felt lost until today. So fill us in. What do we mean by that? Well, multi-generational value in our work is really focused on helping families and entrepreneurs think about how they sustain their legacy into future generations. We find so many entrepreneurs have a vision for multi-generational sort of longevity. And yet it's difficult to figure out how to create the platform to achieve that. So when I'm thinking about multi-generational value, it's about how do you create that platform so that the thing that has been built and that particularly in the founding generation, the entrepreneur has devoted blood, sweat, and tears into creating will last and will last for their employees, will last for their community, and will last within their family into the next generation. Real quick, we we glossed over it real too fast. So you're the CEO of the Family Business Consulting Group. So tell us maybe about the firm real quick, because I think that the two go hand in hand. Absolutely. So the Family Business Consulting Group it has been around for almost 30 years. We've worked with almost 3,000 different families in that time. And what we're really good at is helping families have the necessary conversations that they need to have and put in place plans and behaviors and development opportunities to help these families achieve their vision, whatever that may be across generations. Um, Some of the tools in the toolkit that we work with are leadership and ownership transition planning, strategic planning, leadership development. We work with facilitating family meetings and family education programs, Uh, help with putting in place governance, both business governance, like a formal, often independent board of directors for the enterprise, 
or family governance, which can include entities like family councils or family constitutions or policies that can help them make good decisions together, and also conflict management and helping to build stronger family relationships along the way. I think one other key area where we do a lot of work is what we call ownership alignment, which is helping groups of owners get on the same page about their direction and their roles so that everybody can be kind of rowing in the same direction. Nobody has that problem, do they? <laughs> so, Christy, people that are listening may be thinking, well, we're not a family business. This really isn't applicable to us. And we all probably know those famous family businesses, you know, the Walmarts, the Bushes, the Coors, the Pritzkers. Maybe you could give us a little background on family businesses and, and, and characteristics that help people kind of understand what's beneath that name on the sign in front of the business and just connect us to that experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, family businesses experience all of the same challenges and opportunities as businesses that are non-family or owned in other ways. But one of the things that make families unique is that they often see the enterprise as a way for living their values in the world and for contributing to their communities. And that contributes to their very long-term view of business. Now, again, this isn't unique to family businesses, but what we see with families as they talk about their vision for the future of the business, it does tend to be very long-term. So we've seen families who have 100-year plans for what they want to be. Obviously, I think conditions may change and those mean you know those assumptions may shift over time but they're very purposeful about not only how they want to grow the business and what they want to provide to their customers but how they want to treat their employees how they want to engage in their communities how they want to provide opportunities within their families and and for others to grow and to make their careers and, and contribute to the organization in a very long-term way another sort of uniqueness of family businesses is they tend to take a patient capital view, which means they're they're more likely to invest in something that's going to pay off in the long term. You know, in comparison to what we might see with public companies where a lot of this is sort of quarterly earnings driven, you might see family companies who will invest in something that's not going to pay off for 10 or 20 years because it's part of that longer term time frame. You also see family businesses who are very values driven. And actually there's research, one of our founders, former colleagues, John Ward, did a little study between the kinds of words that are used in value statements in family-owned businesses and non-family-owned businesses. And family-owned businesses tend to talk about things like integrity, about service, about valuing their employees. They tend to treat their employees as family. And this is part of their everyday narrative about what it means to be a part of that enterprise. So as I think about sort of the family versus non-family business view, I think what families do uniquely well is to talk about purpose and meaning and vision for a very long-term time horizon within their day-to-day, which I think is a great foundation for any organization to integrate. You know, as you say that, you just kind of described, in my mind, how lots of professional services firms probably see themselves, right? Of talking about integrity, of service, of purpose. But it's hard to put your finger on it, but it's different when a family business talks about that. It seems more real 
in a family business than it does in a non-family business. I can't articulate it, and it, it may be unfair to say it, but how do you distinguish between real purpose-driven, real continuity and integrity and, and service from a non-family business and a family business? You know, it's an interesting observation. I'm not sure about distinction, but I can think about some specific things that show up in families that do this really well that are perhaps translatable. So one area is families that do this really well are wonderful storytellers. And so there is a lot of family history, right? You know, it'll be the story of grandpa who founded the company out of the back of his truck, you know, 75 years ago and and all of the, you know, the investment and the hard work and the risks and the struggles that the family went through to build to what they've achieved today. That sort of storytelling is a wonderful way to transmit values and beliefs to to the next generation of employees, of family or whatever. It's something that they can really kind of wrap their head around like, oh, this is what this means in action. And if you flip that to more current behavior, I think things that families do really well when they're doing this is that they turn those purpose and value statements into action. So making it tangible. Families may, for instance, create committees of younger family members to give them an opportunity to get involved in philanthropy or to create an employee rewards program or something like that. So they're taking the things that are their values and they're turning them into opportunities for people to actively engage in them in the day-to-day. I think that's another big piece of it. The other thing that I think families that do this really well do is to generate energy around that vision and values and purpose. So one of the recommendations that we often make with families as they're trying to think about preparing their next generation of family members or preparing others to lead and participate in the business is giving them opportunities to engage together in doing something big and having ongoing communication like through family meetings. I think one of the potential risks for family businesses over time is the dilution of that purpose and that energy and that vision. And so in order to perpetuate that to the next generation, you really have to put energy into communication, involvement, engagement, and showing those things on a day-to-day. And so families that are really successful, that's a big part of their focus is how do we engage families in this purpose and vision in different ways, whether they work in the business or whether they're not in the business, you know, finding those avenues to keep those things relevant for family members that are coming up in their careers and in their lives. I want to go back to this concept of multi-generational value for here. So my question, you know, based on everything you just told us about sort of family businesses in general, taking a longer term view, being maybe more purpose driven, being better at activating purpose over time. When you think about building a multi-generational value creation plan or a plan to build value over a longer period, how does that look different than a shorter term plan? You know, I'm thinking through you know, some of the folks we've had on, Jeff, they're, you know, they're, they're a founder and they've got a five-year vision to grow and scale and exit versus a family or an organization that's got a 30-year vision, how does that look and feel different? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah I, I think I think it does. Um, so yes, I mean, you've already hit on one difference, which is the time horizon. Another difference, you know, in order to do this well, you know, we know that there are some 
particular challenges that families face. So families need to do all the things that all the other businesses do, but they need to layer on some additional activities that help them to maintain the competitive advantage that it is of being family owned and having this ownership group that is devoted to purpose and mission and and carrying things forward. And over time, we've learned that there are really sort of three key activities that need to go into that. One is strategic planning. And strategic planning for family-owned businesses needs to be beyond just business strategy. One of the ways that we talk about it is the idea of parallel planning. So you need to think about the family side stakeholders, the way that the family is going to grow and change and how that how you want them to stay involved over time. And you need to plan for that in tandem for the planning for the business. So for instance, if you want for in the next generation, there might be six potential shareholders. And in the generation behind that, there might be 30. That if you want for there to be involvement in those people, you need to create something that there will be in enough to be involved in. So that means thinking about your growth in terms of what the future ownership is going to want to be engaged in. It's going to be thinking about, you know, sometimes it's diversification. Sometimes it's thinking about governance structures in order to give people a voice and an avenue for involvement. So when you've got concentrated ownership, you may be focusing mostly on business growth. With families, because families develop their own complexity over time, you need structures to engage them appropriately. So some family members are going to serve on your board of directors. Some family members will not. How will you choose which family members do or don't serve on the board of directors? How will the board of directors interface with management? How will they get the voice of owners, which, you know, when you get to fifth and sixth and seventh generation families, you know, you may have hundreds of shareholders, right? And they all have an emotional attachment to the name on the door and they want for it to be reflective of their this values and purpose, which is really important. So some of the planning is, you know, thinking about how to keep that growing group of individuals who have an emotional attachment to the firm aligned, engaged, supportive of direction, how to give them ways to participate or ways to not participate if they choose. And then really thinking about the communication and education piece of things. How do you prepare people to engage in their family company in different ways. One of the things that we're aware of as you go through generations is, you know, siblings often grow up in the business. They may have pushed a broom around the warehouse when they were kids or done summer internships and things like that. But you get to the third generation, you you get to people who marry into the family. They have very different sets of experiences. And so the planning in terms of value creation has to be thinking about that entire group of potential future stakeholders and thinking about how to define value in a way that's going to be meaningful for them, which may be economic value, but it also may be value in engaging with the family legacy, value in you know being a part of their community. It can be pretty multifaceted as you get farther down the line. I think you hit on a really interesting part here, which is that I think when we set out on this value creation series, at least in my head, we were mostly talking about economic value. But I think you just kind of hinted that that's only one piece here, especially in a multi-generational thing. So so I guess I'm curious, do firms of this type, do they create hard value creation targets, like economic targets? Or is it softer where it's like, well, there's a general goal of where we're trying to go from a financial perspective, but really these other factors are, are much bigger and we're more interested in those. I mean, maybe you see both, but. I would say in early family conversations, the focus is definitely on other forms of value, but the yeah. hard economic expectations become increasingly important as 
things progress. And one of the things that we're frequently kind of guiding families to think about is defining the boundaries as relates to how they define economic success. We have like a four factor, you know, you know, rectangle that we try to get them to operate within around what are the family's expectations for growth, for risk, for profitability and liquidity. And the reason that those things are important is because, you know, in the founding generation, the owners and the management team are largely the same. That may also be true in the sibling generation. But as you go forward, you're more likely to have either a family member or an outside leader who are charged with achieving the family's vision. And when you've got 15 people speaking into that, that could be a really difficult job. So if the people who are the owners of the company can define their economic expectations within some ranges, that frees management to come up with creative strategy options that can fit within those boundaries that they can work with the owners to select from. That we find is a really effective way to define, you know, it's not necessarily this is the revenue target that we want to achieve, but these are the boundaries in which we're going to feel comfortable that we're getting an appropriate return on our investment from this enterprise. And you know, while keeping, you know, the family values and the reputation and so on and so forth intact, freeing management then to determine how best to achieve that. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. Is there something different about a founder that sets out to build a multi-generational firm of this nature? I am the second generation of of a family business. And when I first kind of got introduced to the concept of family business, I thought it was kind of ridiculous. I'm like, every business that I could think of at some point was basically a family business. There's probably one person who started the thing. But somewhere along the lines, it's like you have to make a, there's a philosophical thing that, that defines it. I mean, just, just talk to me about that. Is there something different about a founder that, that looks at the world this way? There's certainly, I think, differences between the founder and between, you know, sort of successive generations within the business. But I think founders and family firms versus founders and non-family firms, I think there's a lot of commonality. They've got a they've got a vision, they see an opportunity, they're willing to take risk, they're willing to call the shots, and they build competencies over time that allow them to grow an enterprise uh, that can stand on its own and be successful. And I think those things are really, I don't know that those are different from family firms and non-family firms. You know, I think perhaps the difference is in thinking in the future beyond themselves for what it might be. And family firm founders, I think they're going to balance the economic benefit with other benefits that they see as important because, you know, they would probably be in a position where they could take an exit if they wanted to, but they choose not to. And that that's because in some way, they they were probably building it for generations beyond them from the early stages. I would think so much of family business comes out of you know kind of the the character of the family and its history, its its origin and serendipity, right? When you think about family business, family business was probably all business two or three hundred years ago, right? You just did what your father did, and then it just becomes a matter of you know the kids have to work. We'll put them to work in our 
business and they fall in love with it or something. And then boom, you're off to the races as a family business. That's for sure. I think it's important to know, you know, you said that really it used to be all family business. Family business is still the prevalent model for business in this country. You know, depending on the statistics you see, somewhere between 70 to 90% of GDP, 70, 90% of jobs are in family owned businesses. It's still the most prevalent way that people work, but that you wouldn't necessarily see that when you follow the business narrative. Let's shift gears. Let's talk about what gets in the way of creating this long-term multi-generational value. Yeah, great question. No, I'm just going to stop right there. What gets in the way, Christy? Sure. There are a few things. So one thing that we see is that sometimes we don't recognize the situation we're in and the way that the people who are coming up behind us in the family are going to have a very different company to run than we're currently running. So again, if you're the founder, you've you've made all you've called all the shots, you've taken all the risk, all the capital is yours, everyone looks up to you as the leader of the company. If you've got one or more siblings who's going to run that business, first of all, they're going to have to step into some pretty big shoes to fill. They're not going to have the benefit of having built the business from the ground up and earning and winning all of those experiences over time. And they're going to have to do so probably with siblings, with a varied level of interest in the business, a varied level of experience in the business. And they're rather than one person making all the decisions, they're going to have to figure out how to make those decisions together. So once people start to see how, oh gosh, when I think about one generation forward, it's going to be a completely different situation. It allows them to start thinking about what changes in the company, what preparation, what development is going to be important in order to make that successful. Another thing that we see getting in the way is There is a natural tension between a business, which is merit-based and competitive typically, and a family, which is often fairness-based and more inclusive. And so if you are a mother or a father looking at your children, thinking about business decisions for the future, you're really struggling oftentimes with how to make a decision that everybody will think is right or fair or how to balance the needs of the business and the needs of the family. So many families will just get stuck in a process of planning for the future because they're unsure about how to have conversations that aren't going to harm their family relationships that will move the business forward in the way that they need to. I'd say the probably the other key third point about what gets in the way is around waiting too long to get people involved. Oftentimes we see a leader looking at their children and saying, well, I just wish they would step up and take some responsibility. And if you want them to take some responsibility, you need to give them meaningful responsibility. So it's a bit of a dance in thinking about, you know, if you want someone to potentially be a viable leader when they're 40, you can't start developing them at 37. You need to start giving them <laughs> appropriate, age appropriate, developmentally appropriate, career appropriate mm-hmm. steps to get engaged, whether they're in the business or not, all along, so that when that opportunity comes about, all the groundwork is in place. Do you find that it's hard, so along these lines of challenges, it's hard for founders or even next generation, doesn't really matter. When you're talking multi generational value creation, is it hard for them to see the steps along the journey? So, it, it, you know, maybe it's easier to see the end goal. Hey, we want to be this in 30 years, but 
understanding the, the phases to get there is probably really difficult. Yes. I am reminded of a conversation that I had with a young woman who was in her family's business and they had had no conversations about planning for the next generation. This woman, I think, was in her early 30s and she was curious and she had aspirations and things like that. And she shared with me that she, when she spoke to her father about why none of these conversations had been had, his response was, there's no playbook for this. And I found that so interesting, you know, from a from an entrepreneurial perspective, I think there's so much thinking out there on how you, you want to go international, there's resources, there's consultants, there, you know, all these things. A lot of families don't know that there there is or can be a playbook. And it doesn't have to be the same in every circumstance. But sometimes the first step is just the first step. And once you start on the path, you know, the natural conversations and planning kind of evolves. But that uncertainty coupled with, you know, the feeling of like, this is my family and I don't want to mess this up. And this is my business and I don't want to mess this up, I think really stalls things sometimes. You struck an emotional chord there with your story. I had a similar conversation with my dad in our business. You know, my dad was a great entrepreneur, ran a tight business. But from my own perspective, he was a horrible manager and developer of, of talent. I think he let it kind of organically develop. And I think this is one of the critical points I've seen as, as I've transferred my learning from family business into professional services is it is all about development and having an end in mind. And this is, I love the way you talked about this, Christy, is, you know, what these firms do really well is they storytelling. And it's not storytelling in a marketing way. It's storytelling in a substantive, this is who we are. This is why our culture is what it is. And this is where you could fit in, or in, in certain cases, this is how you do fit in. But it's very purposefully done in the context of, of this, this bigger story that we're developing you for a purpose. And that purpose is bigger than you. And if there's one thing I think that professional services firms and, and, and B2B firms that listen to this could take away is, is that concept of purposeful development of something bigger than yourself. I love that concept. And, and you know, in our own firm, we're not a family-owned business, but I am a next-generation leader of our firm. It was founded in 1994, and I became CEO in early 2000. I think that that's something that our firm tried to do as well. You know, there is a lot of narrative about the early days of the firm and why it was created the way it was created and, you know, what the values were around, you know, we're the family business consulting group. The, the founders chose not to name it after individuals because they wanted it to last beyond themselves. And so I'm in a position now where I can tell the stories of the firm because they were told to me during my tenure. That's something we try to perpetuate through our organization as well. Out of curiosity, do you find those stories to be limiting or expanding for you? Like, you know, and maybe inside your client work as well. Do you see that where th these, these stories of legend end up binding people in or do they actually open the doors to bigger, better things? It's an interesting question. I mean, for, for me in our firm, I find them as a wonderful thing to build on. It makes me very comfortable, you know, being a representative of our firm to say that I know what we stand for, right? And we yeah. have continued 
to live up to the values and the culture of the firm. And, you know, sometimes we make hard decisions and some things times don't go our way, but, you know, we, we have consistently lived what we believe. And that, that to me makes me really in a, puts me in a great position to advocate for who we are and what we do and why we do the same thing for our clients, right? Like this is how we live as a firm. This is how we hope you'll live as a firm. This is how we can help you achieve that as a firm and sort of living according to those values. You know, one of the things that is is so powerful, going back to where you started, Christy, with this conversation, is family businesses give family members meaning. This is who I am. I'm a part of something bigger than myself. As you said, it's my name on the door. And we haven't used this word, but it's, it's ownership in the truest sense. It's not ownership in, in that I have shares. It's ownership is that that's a reflection of who I am. One of the phenomenons I think going on right now in the non-family business, when we talk about recruiting and developing talent, is the millennial and Gen Z generations who are looking to their businesses, their places of work for meaning. Can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing in in terms of these younger generations, how they may differ from the next, and what's transferable to organizations that aren't family businesses? Yeah, it's a that's a great observation. I think yes. We see younger employees looking for meaning at work and family businesses historically live in a lot of ways that I think will resonate with younger team members in terms of they really do tend to treat their employees like family members. They tend to have good benefits programs, you know, sort of transparent values centered leadership. They are making long-term plans. They retain their employees much longer, you know, there's comparatively longer than non-family companies. So they're doing something right as as relates to engaging those folks. And as it relates to purpose, I think the cultures tend to welcome a lot of voices, right? I think there's an ability to engage with a lot of different perspectives and have them bring their ideas to the table and and, and things like that. So I think all of those things will resonate. As I think about things that translate well, I think it's, it's probably most around that future focus. One of the things I'm thinking about in, in terms of themes and trends is that, you know, we see younger members in family businesses who are expressing interest in things like, you know, diversity, inclusion, ESG, like all these areas of, of helping the company make social impact in addition to perhaps their traditional vision and charge. And so family-owned businesses in some ways have been grappling with this in a very direct way because their next generations are asking at the, you know, at the ownership table, right? Like what, what are we doing about this and how are we tackling this? And because they have a longer term view, they can look at some of those things on that long term time horizon and think about, you know, where they're where they're going to go. So I think what I, I think what resonates with me is just the idea of channeling that voice and taking the very long term view on the issues that are going to be most important to these younger workers. Because if you want to be sustainable across generations, if you want to create multi-generational 
value, you need to be moving towards a workplace that these younger folks are going to want to engage in. And that doesn't necessarily mean reinventing things from the ground up, but listening and starting to understand what you might be able to do to account for that seems like a really good play. Christy, this has been excellent. And and I knew it was going to be because I know you and I absolutely love this topic. And my takeaway from this is the firms that want to create multi-generational value or 100-year firms need to get a couple of things right. One, you got to know your story and you have to share that story. And that story has to be meaningful and it has to be substantive. You have to have a very clear vision of, of where you're going based on that story. But that vision can evolve and should evolve from generation to generation. But the key, the key is people. In the family business, we call them family. But in a non-family business, we could still call them family, I guess. But the key is to get the right people into the right roles and develop them for those roles, thinking long-term about what it is you're trying to achieve and break out of this kind of short-term thinking. I loved your Foursquare of how you can think about value creation because those are the realities of of life, whether you're a family business or not, but grounding them in reasonable and realistic numbers, I think is, is key. But this whole concept, I, th- I guess to wrap it up, is it comes back to stewardship. It's I'm leaving this firm better for the generation that's coming after me than I found it. Does that sum up what I heard you say? That's a wonderful capture, Jeff. I appreciate it. I agree. Um, Stewardship is the key. And I guess if I was going to leave everybody with one more piece of advice, it would be start now. The next 100 years starts today. Now that's the best advice there is. Thank you. I really appreciate you joining us today. This has been fun. Thank you both. Thanks, Christy. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.